Hello, Jason here with uh, episode number 37 of Zion ID. It's titled The Science of Fasting. In an article from the Deseret News written by Tad Walsh, it says, Hundreds of thousands of people of all faiths are taking to social media to say they will join in worldwide fasting and prayer on Good Friday for relief from the global COVID-19 pandemic. That momentum for a collective fast is reflected in one new Facebook group that swelled to more than 257,000 members in just three days after a global religious leader issued an invitation over the weekend. The group's rapid growth, international reach, and multi-faith makeup was one indication Tuesday, a broad interest in the effort to call on divine power this week for help during the coronavirus pandemic. I am Egyptian and a member of the Coptic Church. I will fast and pray with you. God help us, one member of the group posted. Organizers launched the group Saturday after President Russell M. Nelson of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints called for a global fast while speaking during the faith's semi-annual worldwide conference. Let us prayerfully plead for relief from this global pandemic, President Nelson said on Saturday while speaking to millions of Latter-day Saints, calling on them to join with people of faith from around the world. I invite all, including those not of our faith, to fast and pray on Good Friday, April 10th, that the present pandemic may be controlled, caregivers protected, the economy strengthened, and life normalized. Okay, well, I mean, first of all, I love it when prophets uh, sync with current events to provide us with guidance, hope, and lead us in preparation uh, during times of trial. Nelson's plea over the weekend can be summarized um, regarding like the importance of hearing the voice of the Lord, hear him. Uh, gathering Israel, continuing to proclaim the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, in these, the last days. You know, when I was younger, um, I grew up as a, as a youth listening intently to Gordon B. Hinckley. Um, you know, the prophet when I was, I was a boy. And the thing that I loved about President Hinckley is he always seemed to speak to the elephant in the room. And I think it's wise to review a lot of the warnings that he issued even 20 and 30 years ago because the warnings of preparation are nothing new. Um, If President Hinckley had been alive to speak at this general conference, what might he have said? While drawing on his past remarks, I think it's probable that he would have told the saints similar things that President Nelson said, if ye are prepared, ye shall not fear. Um... President Hinckley issued a lot of advice and counsel to stay out of debt, to have a rainy day fund. And perhaps if he spoke at this conference, he said, this could be a time for you to draw on such funds. I could hear him saying something like, you know, the time-held principles of preparation that are part of the DNA of this people will come in handy as members should be able to draw upon storage of food if supply chains become constrained or if stay-at-home orders prevent you from leaving the house for a time. 
planting a garden is a relatively inexpensive alternative to shopping at the local grocery store. Not only does it provide essential nutrients for you, but it's a productive activity for the whole family to work side by side, to talk, to be active in a safe way. The Lord is with us and will bless your efforts to prepare against the storms of life. In our efforts to be like President Hinckley and others like him, uh, who are able to speak to the elephant in the room and sync with current events, it's relevant to dig a little deeper into President Nelson's call for all of us to fast. Um, I feel strongly that the better we understand something, um, the greater our faith in it can become. So um, I guess, first of all, I mean, what is fasting? You can look up and get the official definition online. But basically, we, uh, we describe it as skipping two meals, so sacrificing food. And instead of eating, uh, you use the time of fasting and prayer to draw closer to God, to focus your desires, um, you know, improve communication with the heavens. The roots of my own testimony of fasting were really strengthened uh, 20 years ago. I was serving as a missionary in the midst of economic collapse in Venezuela um, and we had this special zone conference and we had, I still remember we had a good sister, Armana Chrisman, who instructed us on the spiritual strength that can be generated by a sincere fast. And she challenged us to put it into practice. And the thing why it was so impactful for me is, you know, sometimes you have to experiment on your faith. And so we did what Armana Chrisman asked us to do. It certainly wasn't easy. Um, Venezuela is incredibly hot. We all walked a lot. So sacrifice of any amount of food and water in the heat of Venezuela for a bunch of young men and women, you know, for us kind of marked an ultimate sign of desire unto the Lord. And as you might imagine, uh, the Lord blessed that group of missionaries in Zona Sur exceedingly. Um, Armana Chrisman brought up a few important points that I wrote down in my journal. How great is it that we can go back to a journal and remember important spiritual impressions that we received in the past? Um, but anyway, a few of the things that I wrote down in my journal was that um, conquering the flesh is one of the best ways we can measure our spirituality. And as we become more like the Savior through charity, we each will conquer the natural man. And one of the best ways to do that is through the tool of fasting. In fact, the purpose of fasting is to take part, even if it's a small part, in the atonement, um, our own personal sacrifice. Steps of fasting can include fasting for a specific purpose, opening your fast with a prayer, Striving to think about the purpose of your fast throughout the duration. Uh, fasting for an appropriate length of time. Closing your fast with a prayer expressing gratitude. Paying a generous fast offering. And when you think of fasting, it's more of a process than a, an a event. Which is why I think we incorporate it um, with prayer. It's a great time to make specific plans uh, and present those plans to the Lord. Um, 
Let me read a few of these other notes. Um, this is how we serve with our heart. My, if our thoughts are scattered, uh, then our success may be scattered too. And when you're fasting for something big, it becomes a question of possibility. And of course it's possible, but we need to be one with the Lord to accomplish our goals. So through this process, I think we can all agree that um, fasting is a sacrifice. And in some way, somehow, uh, it increases spiritual strength. So let's see here. Um, Again, the better we can understand it, the greater our faith in it can become. So it's important to draw on personal experiences from the past when our individual testimonies were strengthened um, so that we can have faith in it today. So why and how does fasting work? First, the why. Um, Since the time of Adam, God's people have fasted to help them draw near to him and to worship him. Jesus showed the importance of fasting by his own example. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Through Latter-day Revelation, we learn that the Lord still expects his people to fast and pray often. In Doctrine and Covenants 8876, it says, Also I give unto you a commandment that ye shall continue in prayer and fasting from this time forth. Um, We must concentrate on spiritual matters. This is why prayer is such a necessary part of fasting. Throughout the scriptures, prayer and fasting are mentioned together. Our fasting should be accompanied by sincere prayer, and we should begin and end our fast with prayer. Our purpose in fasting should not be to impress others, for the Lord counseled, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Be thou when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face that thou appear not unto men to fast. That's Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Isaiah wrote of the Lord's Lord's rich promises to those who fast, and this was quoted by President Nelson in a conference. Um, Let's see. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. Isn't it funny that in society today, intermittent fasting has become a great tool of dieting? And you have a lot of doctors and professionals espousing the positive effects of fasting. Well, that's only one side of the coin. The other side and the more important side is what Isaiah just said, that when you fast, when you shall call, the Lord shall answer. Fasting is about so much more than just going hungry. 
Um, it's definitely a spiritual tool that we all should utilize. When the disciples were unable to cure a boy who was possessed of an evil spirit, they asked the Savior, Why could we not cast him out? Jesus responded, This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Matthew chapter 17, verses 19 and 21. Book of Mormon prophets taught the law of the fast. Behold, now it came to pass that the people of Nephi were exceedingly rejoiced because the Lord had again delivered them out of the hands of their enemies. Therefore they gave thanks unto the Lord their God. Yea, and they did fast much and pray much, and they did worship God with exceedingly great joy. When we fast wisely and prayerfully, we develop our faith. With that faith, we will have greater spiritual power. For example, Alma tells the story of meeting again with the sons of Messiah many years after their miraculous conversion. He felt great joy when he learned that they had strengthened their faith and had developed great spiritual power. They had gained the power because, and this is Alma 17.3, they had given themselves to much prayer and fasting. Therefore, they had the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation. These sons of Messiah had been preaching for 14 years to the Lamanites. Because the sons of Messiah had fasted and prayed, the Spirit of the Lord increased the power of their words. This gave them great success in missionary work. The Savior has said to those who fast properly, Thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Matthew chapter 6, verses 18. So I think that does... That, those, that collection of scriptures does a good job of reminding us why we should fast. Um, the second part I'd like to cover in this podcast is um, the how. How does it provide spiritual strength? Um, how does it call down upon the powers of heaven? Well, in prior podcasts, um, we've covered the science of prayer. We have talked about the power of virtue We've talked that our bodies are a temple, a house for the spirit of intelligence. Our souls produce electrical charges from each and every cell as electrons work among protons and neutrons. Many stimuli are capable of affecting cellular health, uh, stimuli such as diseases. Uh, We're seeing it today with viruses. Uh, Food can impact cellular health, exercise, thoughts, and emotions. Even our DNA coils and uncoils due to these different stimuli. Well, why is this important to understand? Because each of these minute particles that we can't even see radiates waves that are able to communicate with God and with others via the light of Christ in this atonement ecosystem in which we live. The study of quantum physics can seem complex in the same way that the words of Isaiah might seem complex. But once understood, it's plain for all to see. And I think you can summarize it like this. Um, You know, your thoughts and actions impact your cells, which impacts what you radiate into your ecosystem an ecosystem that's designed by God to create and sustain life. I mean, it's marvelous the deeper you study quantum physics. When thinking in such terms, consider a recent quote from Jeffrey R. Holland. He said, 
The spirit is not blocked by a virus or by natural boundaries or by medical forecasts. These are gifts from heaven that are not limited by trouble in the land or illness in the air. He who created this marvelous world in which we live can say to any of the elements in it, this far and no further. That is what he will say to this blight we are now facing. In the presence of his majesty, even subatomic-sized creations must bend, and each in its own way confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the great Redeemer of all. Under the direction of his Father, the Savior is in charge of the destiny of this world. We are in very sure and loving hands. Um, I want to read a couple of quotes from an author, uh, Dr. Bradley Nelson. Dr. Bradley Nelson says, Turn up the power on your microscope, magnifying your skin 20,000 times, and you'll see a, a field of swarming cells. Magnify it a lot more, and you'll see molecules. Magnify those molecules, and you'll see the atoms that make up those molecules. Magnify those atoms, and you'll see the subatomic energy clouds that make up those atoms. The electrons, the protons, the neutrons, and other subatomic particles. It's still the back of your hand, but it looks nothing like the hand you know. If you glance at it now, your hand looks solid. Slap it down on the table, and it makes a nice, substantial thud. Your hand may seem solid, but there's actually a lot of empty space there. At the subatomic level, there are vast distances between each spinning electron. Atoms are actually 99.9999% empty space. Your hand is 99.9999% empty space. If you could remove all the empty space from these atoms, your hand would become so small you would need a microscope to see it. It would virtually disappear, although it would still weigh the same and contain the same number of atoms. It might take a moment to comprehend this idea, but your hand seems solid, but it is made of dynamic energy that is in constant vibration. In fact, physicists now understand that the so-called subatomic particles that make up the atom are not really particles at all. They measure the contents of the atom in energy units instead because it's so much more accurate. Like everything else in the universe, the thoughts that you create are made of energy. Thought energy has no boundary. Your thoughts are not confined to a certain volume and location like your physical body is. While we like to think that all of our unspoken thoughts are private and that they are confined to our own heads, it's not true. Each of us is like a radio station, constantly broadcasting the energy of our thoughts, which emanate from us and fill the immensity of space, touching all those around us for good or ill. So you can see what might happen um, when our thoughts are focused on desire and prayer while fasting. For whatever reason, the absence of food um, creates perhaps more space uh, for pure vibration to go out from us. Uh, Let's see here. I'll finish with one more quote from Bradley Nelson. He says, The apostles were on their ship in the middle of a stormy sea when in the early hours of the morning they saw a figure walking toward them on the water. 
the apostles were terrified and thought it was a ghost. When they realized that it was their master, Peter cried out to him, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Jesus said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and began walking on the water towards Jesus. He was walking on water. But when he looked around and realized how unnatural it was to be doing what he was doing and how bad the storm was, he began to feel fear, and he immediately started to sink. Peter cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus reached out and caught him, saying, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 31. Peter started out with faith, with the belief that he could walk on water. His faith and intention were so powerful that he was actually able to do it. The intelligence of the water simply responded to his belief, to his intention, in a very immediate way. And the normal state of things instantly changed to support his intention. The moment Peter began to feel fear, his clear intention and faith in his own ability to walk on water began to diminish. As his faith diminished, his clear intention vanished and he began to sink because the universe had to respond to his new state of mind. Peter began to sink because he began to doubt, to fear. You might think of doubt and fear as being on one side of a scale and faith and belief on the other side. If your doubt and fear increase, your faith and belief will decrease and vice versa. Um, He, again, Dr. Nelson calls it the universe. I would call it the atonement ecosystem or the light of Christ. Support your beliefs. If you think you can't, the universe will support that belief and you will not succeed. On the other hand, if you think you can, the universe will support that belief and you will be empowered. Another author, Mitch Horowitz, um, talks about some very interesting scientific studies that few in the industry understand as they pertain um, to, uh, what do we call them? Oh, placebos. Um, for those, I mean, you know what a placebo is. It's when you're given, you know, um, in every, you know, medical experiment, they have a certain amount that are placebo to measure it against the controlled, uh, variables and to see if, you know, the effectiveness, try and gauge, measure the effectiveness of medicine. In July of 2002, researchers in the New England Journal of Medicine reported the effectiveness of placebo surgery. Participants from the Houston Veterans Affairs Medical Center received mock arthritic knee operations involving just a benign incision and experienced substantially similar rates of relief and vastly reduced recovery time as patients who received standard invasive arthritic knee surgery. In 2010, Harvard Medical School researchers conducted an unprecedented honest placebo study in which an openly sham pill brought lasting relief to sufferers of irritable bowel syndrome. Subjects knew they were receiving an inert substance Yet 59% reported relief compared to only 35% in the control group. What was happening? It may be that a patient's belief in the very possibility of mental therapeutics is sufficient to enact the self-healing response. 
Another Harvard Medical School study in 2014 reported that migraine sufferers experienced improved results from their prescriptions when they were supplied with positive information about a drug. This suggests that the placebo effect is always operative, working not only in conjunction with inert substances, but also affecting a patient's experience of traditional drugs and therapies. In a 2007 study, Harvard psychologist Ellen Langer reported that hotel maids experienced weight loss and reduced blood pressure when taught to understand that their daily work routine had significant aerobic benefits. Once these facts were established, within four weeks, subjects lost weight without changes to their work habits or personal lives and compared to no changes in a control group. In other studies by Langer, Elderly subjects experienced physical and mental improvements, including increased strength and flexibility, recovered memory and cognitive function, and improved mood and vitality when immersed in nostalgic settings filled with stimuli from their youth, including vintage books, music, and movies. Settings that evoked feelings of youth actually seemed to summon the reappearance of youthful traits extended even to improved eyesight. And the last um, that I'll quote from Mitch Horowitz, clinicians, uh, let's see, in, uh, let's see, in, in August 2016, in the research journal Nature Medicine, reported that by stimulating the reward system in the brains of mice in which a payoff is anticipated, they strengthened the animal's immune responses. These findings suggest that even a generalized state of positive expectancy may have immunological benefits and also identify a key link, reward anticipation, in the action of the placebo response. Critics call belief a delusion, but they misunderstand what is occurring. A delusion is a limiting, diverting mindset. If your belief does not deter you from using recognized medical means, in other words, if it does not prescribe your therapeutic possibilities, it cannot be called delusion. It is rather a compliment. So let's, uh, let's close our discussion here regarding the science of fasting. Um we can definitely have faith that fasting works and that as we put the challenge that President Nelson issued into practice, we can call down the blessings of heaven and that we truly can receive physical and spiritual healing. That in one way or another, it might not be the way that we choose, but God will hear us and he will answer our prayers and provide refuge and provide a measure of peace in trying times. Um, again, in the world, you will hear many of the health benefits um, of fasting. Intermittent fasting is an effective diet. Uh, other people, I've seen a, a special on Netflix that outlined people who fasted for long periods of times in different health facilities, I think they were in Russia, were able to actually control chronic diseases uh, when no medicine was helping. Uh, 
But the purpose of this podcast and the purpose of any spiritual discussion on fasting is to remind us that equally important is the spiritual power that can be derived from fasting. So experiment on the Word of God, put it into practice, and your testimony will grow in this spiritual tool.